Our text this morning is Psalm 25, starting with the first verse. It's written by David. He says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me be not put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me, for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Steadfast love. Today, I really want to focus in on verse 4, where David says, Make me to know your ways. O Lord, teach me your paths. It's because with God's steadfast love, we come to know his ways and learn his paths. Steadfast love. It's really an incredible concept if you think about it. It's, his love is steadfast. It is, it is stable. It is certain. It is unchanging. His love for you is unchanging. If you were to live a better life, God's love for you would be unchanging for you people who struggle with perfectionist issues. And for those of you who struggle with thinking not well of yourself, there's nothing you could ever do that God would make, you, make him love you any less. It is steadfast, unchanging, unending it's God seeing us through the eyes of 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 God looking at us and seeing the righteousness of his son there's a a man named Jonathan Edwards a long time ago who who spoke this the the difference between actually experiencing God and knowing doctrine about him is the same as tasting honey versus just simply knowing that it's sweet the same is true for God's love. It's, it's one thing to know about God's love, but it's entirely different to experience it, to sense it, to feel it. David provides us two experiences, two ways of experiencing God's steadfast love, letting God help us know his ways and teaching us the path that he has for us to follow, to know his ways. David said, make me to know. That that means that's a work of God. Through the Holy Spirit, enabling us to know, to know his way. When we hunger for the Lord's Supper and we engage with that, we experience it. Paul uses the word, it's a participation with the very body and blood of Jesus. You can feel it. You can taste it. You experience the love of Christ. When you soak yourself in the word of God, you allow the Holy Spirit more and more time to work deeply into your life, penetrating into your heart, teaching you God's way, God's incredible word living and breathing for you. It's a good thing to to listen to sermons and maybe you you have speakers that you really like to engage with and listen to in podcasts or or streaming or or whatever the case may be. And that's good because it can be helpful to, to build maybe a new thought or an encouragement in your life. But never let that be the primary source of your time with God. 
Don't let a sermon you hear from me be your primary source for connecting with God. He yearns for you to spend one-on-one time with him, to, to dig into the pages of scripture yourself, to be able to know his way, to know his voice, to know his word. And there's incredible truth that is in scripture, right? And, and you, it, it enables you not only to just know about him, but, but know him, to know his heart, to know that his heart is to have a relationship with you. Not that you'd be able to answer a ton of test questions about who he is and what he's done, but that you'd be able to have a relationship with him that lives and breathes. You know, this is especially true when we talk about his way of salvation, right? It's, it's much more than just waiting for the kingdom of God to come in all of its fullness, and that's when we need it. Like, it's a, it's a get-out-of-hell-free card. But rather, it's, it's something that we can encounter and experience in the here and now, right now, to have a, a life-renewing relationship with our Creator, with our Redeemer, and to let that relationship bring, bring hope and courage and, and fuel for our everyday lives. Even in the face of difficulties, especially when we face our enemies. And David cries out to God, you are the God of my salvation. David is building up to a, a confession that he shares in verse 11, which is just after our text today. And he says, for your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. It's a really good reminder, I think, as we enter into the season of Advent, that the way that we prepare for Jesus' return, Jesus coming back again, is through humble hearts of repentance. And for that, it's important for us to hear the truth of our sin, to hear the truth of God's law, to yearn for more of it in our life. You know, it's there's, there's some things that as we learn God's law of truth that bother us, that maybe, boy, I wish it wouldn't say that that's wrong, or culture says that it's okay, but, but and I feel like it's okay, but God's word clearly states that it's not. And God doesn't work with a slippery slope of postmodern truth, that what's true for me is true for me, and what's true for you is true for you, and, and it, they don't have to be the same. God's word doesn't work that way. There's a no and a yes for so many issues that we struggle with. And God's law in that way is considered offensive. But it's so incredibly necessary in our life to show us our need, to show us what's right and wrong, the boundaries in which we're supposed to live, not so that we re live a restrictive life, but so that we can live a life that's, that's full and abundant. We need that sin, we need that law to show us our sin, to bring us to a place of humble repentance. David praises God for this truth, the solid truth of God's laws. Because here's, what, here's the game that the enemy plays, right? That the enemy, Satan loves to tempt us ahead of time with something that we really would like to do. It seems pleasurable. It seems fun. God would want me to be happy. And the enemy says, it's really not that big of a deal. If you, if you, if you do this, it's really okay. 
And then you do it, and then he changes his stance, and then he, then he comes at you, the enemy comes at you with, how could you, how could you do that? How do you call yourself a Christian? And you do those things, and he floods your life with shame. But thank goodness there is more to God's truth than just law. There's this incredible, abundant gospel. This, this, the truth of the gospel brings, uh, that brings healing for our hearts, and it connects us into a healthy relationship with God. That God longs to have that relationship with us. David praises God for his way and his truth. Hundreds of years later, Jesus says almost the same thing, but just a a bigger picture about way and truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the way. You see, the way is not you need to learn these Ten Commandments or you need to learn these seven steps in order to to find the way. The way is not a, a, a journey. The way is a person in Jesus Christ. He is the way. Here's the destination for this way. Forgiveness, restoration, and everlasting life. And I love how, how, how David approaches this. It's, it's not for the, this gift is not for the holy, the righteous, the got it all put together kinds of people. It's for sinners. The way of Jesus is for sinners. He instructs sinners in the way. It's just a great reminder for those of you who feel just plagued by guilt this morning. Jesus came especially for you. You And Jesus was, was teaching about this and, and he said that those who are well, who have no need for a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, he teaches the humble his way. We're supposed to wait for his return with incredible humility. The sinner who humbles himself in, in repentance is the one whom God leads on this way. So I want to I give you a a dangerous prayer to pray this week. This prayer is only for the daring. It goes like this, Lord, remove my pride and make me humble. Amen. Now, I have to say, at this point in the 930 service, they're they're so trained that when you hear the word amen, they're like, oh, great, sermon's over. And I had to announce that there's still more sermon and you could, the disappointment was in the room. But that's a dangerous prayer. Lord, Lord, remove my pride and make me humble. It's a dangerous prayer because it hurts to have your pride broken. And it hurts to be humble. But unless we're there, unless we're, unless we're on our knees in repentance, in humility, the way is not for us. A humble repentance. And then he, David says, remember not my sin. It's an incredible teaching in scripture that when God forgives, he remembers our sin no more. If there's a particular sin that you've done thousands of times and you've, you've apologized and repented to God thousands of times, the next time you do that thing, God essentially says, wow, that's, a, that's the first time you've ever done that. I forgive you. And then he remembers it no more. It's very unlike the forgiveness that we give to each other, right? If you wrong me or I wrong you and we say, I forgive you to one another, it's like, I forgive you, but I remember what you did. 
God has no memory of sins that he's forgiven. According to your steadfast love, remember me, David says. When you think of me, God, think of me through your heart. Think of me through the eyes of of everlasting, steadfast love. See me in that light, in that way. See me in the righteousness of your son. Wrap me up in a giant bear hug of grace. Now, when God lets us experience his steadfast love by knowing his way, when our life is just saturated with his way, the next thing he does is he helps us learn his paths. Learn his path. The question is, what is God's will for your life? For you individually, what is God's will? This has been a burning question for the last three or four decades in the church. Prior to that, when you take a look at at, uh, Augustine's sermons, Luther's sermons, no one ever talks about, well, what is your plan for my life? But the last three or four decades, that's been a burning question. What is God's will for me? Who am I supposed to marry? What am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to live? And God has chosen a path for us. There is a path, and God will show it to you. He'll instruct you, and he'll, he'll give you all that you need to move along that path. If we jump to Paul's teaching in the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, For we are God's workmanship, craftsmanship, masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. Here's the purpose, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's Workmanship, craftsmanship, work of art, masterpiece. That's you. You are that masterpiece that he's created. And everything about you is designed. Everything was, was, was directed and, and, and planned long before you were even born. And he's made you something exquisite, something unique, like a snowflake or a fingerprint. There is no other person on this earth in history who is just like you, with the same temperament and mood and personality and desires and passions and gifts and abilities. There is no one just like you. Mr. Rod Jackson, our school superintendent here at St. Luke's Lutheran School, has a, has a great saying that I absolutely love, is that every, every child is an unrepeatable miracle of God. And that's you too. You are an unrepeatable miracle of God. And God has created good works beforehand, before you were born. He has created what he needs you to accomplish in your life. Your experiences, even your troubles, your struggles, your your mistakes even. Because of who you are and what you've become, there are things that God has planned that only you can do. Only you. In my head, I just heard, only you can prevent forest fires. But only you have things that God has planned out for you to accomplish. No one else can do it. So if that's the case, then naturally the next response should be, well, then I want the map. You know, give me the checklist, God. Let me know what you want me to do, and I'm going to go out there and do it. Except that's not really how it works. We want guidance. We want the map. We want the details. We want to know so that we can do it right. A couple decades ago, when I was a vicar here at St. Luke's, when it come time when you're, you're, you're going to go to the hospital for a first time or going to a shut-in call for the first time, uh, grew up in a small town in southern Kansas, plopped down into great big 
Orlando area. And so we had this really cool invention that probably only half of you in this room have ever utilized, but it was Google Maps turn-by-turn directions. It was, was, this was really impressive. You got a printout that said, take this road, this direction for this many miles, and then turn left or right on this road for this many miles, which it worked really well, except you know, you're trying to flip through the pages of these notes as you're driving uh, really safe. And it worked amazing. I was able to navigate to anywhere in the city, except for when I wasn't. And you miss a turn on one of those, it's printed out on paper. You miss a turn and, and then all of a sudden now you are really lost. And you can try to get back to your point of origin or try to get back to the last turn that you know was right. But if you miss a step, all is lost. There were times where I had to take the drive of shame back to St. Luke's and find out, okay, let's start here and go again. But now, see, we don't have a map anymore. We have a guide. There is a guide that goes with me in my car and lets me know what place to go to, where to get, how fast it's going to be, when my arrival time is going to be, and when I make a mistake, it says rerouting, and Siri gently and politely guides me back to the right spot. Whenever I get in trouble, Siri's there to get me where I need to go. You know, our time with God is, is so much the same, right? We want the map. God, show me the map. I need the big picture. I want to see what's going to happen. I want to see where we're going to go. But, but here's the problem. If we look back in our lives, God bless you. If we work back in our lives and we, we see some of the turns that we had to take and the experiences that we had to, to encounter, there are times in my map where I'd like to say, oh, I don't like this part, God. Can we detour that one? I'd like this to not happen at all. Let's do this instead. This looks way better. We, we, would, we would argue with the map. We'd be disappointed in the map. We wouldn't see the bigger picture. It'd be too overwhelming for us. And so rather than give us guidance, rather than give us a map, he says, I'm going to be your guide. When you are so saturated with my word, I will be your guide. You will know and understand. And I may not give you all the steps you want to see in front of you. I may just give you one or two that's right in front of you. But I will be your guide. And when you get to the point of making, needing to make a turn, I'll help you. I will give you your spiritual rerouting. You know, Jonah and the whale, that was a spiritual rerouting. So that we accomplish exactly what it is that he set out for us to do. You know, there's no way that we can make a mistake and then, oops, I married the wrong person or I took the wrong career or I moved to the wrong place. There, there's no such thing as that. It's, there's no way that somehow all of a sudden God goes, oh man, didn't see that problem coming. Uh, now how in the world am I going to make this work and this work over here? There's no plan B. There is only plan A. Now, sure, sometimes we make mistakes, and because of those mistakes, we face consequences for our sin, like just natural consequences in the world. But God uses even our mistakes. Think about Jacob, you know, the, the, the father of Israel. And Jacob, man, he just made mistakes left and right. He fooled his father, he cheated his brother, and as a result, he had, he had to, to, to do natural consequences. You have to leave, you have to go out into the world. And as he's out in the wilderness, he meets the love of his life, Rebecca. And because of that, the Messiah is born. Now, you can't tell me that all of those workings was a plan B. 
The Messiahs never operate under plan B. It was plan A from the very beginning. Now, it's not okay that Jacob sinned. He's, he faced the, the penalty, the consequences of that sin. But God has this incredible, miraculous ability to use even our mistakes to do good, to do his miracles. That amazes me about who he is. David concludes this psalm with saying this, that all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his commands and his testimonies. Every path that God has for each and every person in this room includes steadfast love and faithfulness. It is all capital G good. He can act in no other way. Those, that, this is his nature to lead people in paths of steadfast love and faithfulness. Even when we don't understand how the difficulties will get woven into this tapestry of our lives, we can trust in his never-ending love, his steadfast love and universal promises to hold fast throughout every situation and circumstance. We can rejoice even in our suffering. Lord, make me to know your ways. Allow me to be saturated by your word. Let your word just course through me throughout my day. And, and teach me your paths, Father, that I would see and recognize and, and courageously take the steps that you put right in front of me each and every day. We pray this in Jesus' powerful and holy name. Amen.